We um, were at a conference yesterday. There was me, Steph, and Holly. We travelled up to Peterborough yesterday morning. It was a what well, was an early start for me. It was a half past six leave. Uh, we we're up at a conference called the Glow Conference, and the focus of the conference was uh, for for those that either work with children or young people in some way, or for parents. Uh, and really thinking about how we can uh, be those that are serving and impacting the next generation. So very much on the focus of how, how to serve and bless children, young people, and, and support families. And there was a guy there called Phil Green, and I think he's the, the CEO for a charity called Home for Good. I don't know if people have heard of Home for Good, but what Home for Good do, they're a Christian organization, a Christian charity, uh, that are seeking to raise uh, not just awareness of, but, but support and, and networking for for churches and Christians around fostering and adoption. Uh, and he was there and he was doing a seminar and he was doing a talk. And he shared something that really struck me that I, I want to get us to think about to start with this morning. And he was saying yesterday uh, that he, he was going to be going home to watch the final part of a series called Bodyguard. I don't know if anyone's been watching Bodyguard. I can't relate. I've not watched it yet. Uh, I've heard good things, so it might be something I'll pick up on. But he was saying it was the last one of the series, and kind of the re- everything that he'd watched up until this point was kind of hinging on the last one. Depending how they ended it would depend on kind of what you make of the rest of what's come before. And he was saying that, uh, that the ending can make you reinterpret everything that has come before. And in terms of stories, that's absolutely true, isn't it? I, I know that's definitely my, my experience, hopefully it be your experience, that as you either uh, through, through reading a story, hearing a story, watching a film or a TV series, kind of everything can kind of hinge on what happens at the end. And once we know what the ending is, if we go back through and either read it or watch it or hear it again, we interpret things in different ways, don't we? Because we know how things are going to turn out in the end. And he was saying this because he was saying, as Christians, we know how the story ends. This was the point he was making. And this is where I want us to start today. We know how the story ends. You see, the good news of God's story is this, is that Jesus uh, came. He was uh, God incarnate. So he was God in the flesh. And he came and he lived among us. And he lived a life that was pleasing to the Father. Uh, And he was crucified. And when he was crucified, as he died on the cross, he, he bore the punishment that our sins Deserved. He took that and, and paid that price for us, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and because he is risen again, we too have hope that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. Not just that we have hope, we have security, absolute security in that truth. Uh, so that's the good news of God's story, but actually he's now returned to the Father, and it's not the end of the story because one day he will come back, and he will judge the earth, but he's coming back for his church. And he will make all things new. That is where the story ends. And we know how the story ends. And because we know how the story ends, it means uh, that that it should transform everything for us. We know how the story ends. It should transform everything for us. The way we interpret things. The way we understand things. The way we live. And he said this, which I thought was a very clever way of putting it. He said, our future is our starting point. Our future is our starting point because we know how it ends. Jesus is going to return for his church. The reason I'm saying this is because when he was saying this, obviously I was aware that I was was speaking today and carrying on our series through 1 John, through John's first letter. And and really, and hopefully the thing that has come through from the first um, from the first sermon I did a couple of weeks ago and through Mike's is that John was writing to bring assurance. 
He was wanting to bring assurance because he was saying, look, we know how the story ends. So you can have confidence and comfort and assurance in that. And actually, because you know how the story ends, it should transform the way that we live. And through his letter, he, he, brings, uh, he, he, he will bring warnings and he'll, he'll bring some things up that he's like, actually, we just need to touch on this and we need to, to address this. But always in the light of, we, we know what's ha- going to happen in the end. Chapter 5, verse 13, I picked up on this a couple of weeks ago. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Can we see there's that assurance? You have eternal life. We know how it's going to end. And this is where he's saying, you can be sure of this. I want you to know this to be true. You see, the gospel, the good news uh, that that Jesus proclaimed through his life, death and resurrection, it's not just a promise for tomorrow, but it's something to be experienced today. It affects the way that we live. And again, this is what John keeps coming back to time and time again. Yes, it's a promise for tomorrow, but it affects the way we live. It's to be experienced today. Because we know how the story ends, it transforms everything for us. It enables us to interpret and to understand the here and the now. Of the things that we're experiencing. Of the seasons of life that we're going through. Of the things that God is calling us to do. We view all of those things through the lens of knowing how the story ends. That Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to 1 John in chapter 2. We're going to be picking up from verse 18. We'll be coming on the screens in a minute. But just while you're finding your way there, again, just to, to review kind of where we're at and to, to remind us of the context into which John was writing. Uh, he's writing to local churches, and as I've mentioned already, he's writing really to, to bring assurance to them. He wants to give them uh, that, that surety and that, and that confidence, what it is to be those that know Jesus, to be those that know that they have eternal life. But he's writing at a time where uh, there's false teaching coming in, there's false teachers, false prophets, and they're attracting, it seems that they're attracting quite a large following to the extent that people are, uh, are, are drifting from church uh, and actually falling out of fellowship with the local church as well. So this is the situation that he's writing into. So while Paul, as a, Paul, while John is writing to the church. Yes, he's bringing this assurance, but along the way, he's also writing with concern because he's got to bring these warnings and draw attention to some of these things. And he's saying, guys, you just need to to fix your eyes on this. You need to realise what the situation is. There are some things that you need to be wary of and aware of. uh, But even in that, I'm going to bring you assurance that you can have confidence as you journey through and you continue your walk with Jesus. Now, last week, Mike was speaking on John's warning to the church around this idea of not to deceive themselves. If you listen to it, Barry, you listened to it yesterday, so this should be fresh in your mind. Uh, and he was talking about, do not deceive yourself. So there was a warning that came. So actually it's possible for you to deceive yourselves. But we're not to be a people that do that. And then in verses 15 to 17, I'm not sure Mike got round to really focusing on this. As he said, there was a lot to, to unpack in just the, the time that he had. But in verse 15 to 17, it says about not loving the things, uh, not loving the world or the things of the world. Uh, if, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, in him because he's saying actually the things of, of the world, they're going to pass away. But actually those who do the will of God abides forever. So there's this warning about loving the world over loving God, living for things of the world rather than living for things of God. But he's saying the world is passing away, it's temporary. And this brings us back to where I started at the beginning. We know how the story ends. 
The world is going to pass away, but the things of God are going to last forever. So this is his warning. He's saying, look, this is what God is going to do. So fix your eyes on him, not on the things of the world. They're just temporary and they're passing away. So we can kind of see that already in action in what, where we're up to in this letter already. We've got these warnings that John is just drawing people's attention uh, back to the right place. Always back to Jesus. Look, it's on Jesus where your hope rests. Don't allow yourself to, to, to be deceived. We just need to make sure you're looking in the right place and giving yourself to the right things. So let's pick up from chapter 2 and verse 18. We've got a bit of a, a shorter passage of scripture today. So we're going to read through from verse 18 to 27. So John continues in his writing. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son, has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So if uh, what Mike was speaking to us about last week, if the warning last week was not to deceive ourselves, that the focus for today and the warning for today is this, is do not be deceived by others. Do not be deceived by others. Now, the, the wonderful thing is, is that when John is writing uh, to the church, he, he brings these warnings up. But do you know what? If someone just brings you a warning and, and that's it, there's not always that much comfort in that, is there? But John is so aware of this. He brings a warning, but then he brings assurance in as well. He's saying, actually, you've got reason to be confident. Actually, you've got reason to be sure. And we'll see this as we go through these verses. He brings warnings. Yeah, the church needs to know these things. Church, today, we need to know these things. We need to be warned that we're not to be deceived by others. But it's not just a warning for us to be afraid and fearful. Actually, there's assurance that comes and there's confidence that comes and is given to us. And hopefully you'll see that as we work through. So my title for today, if you're someone that makes notes or likes titles, it's quite simple. It's warned and assured. So it's the two things going together, being warned and assured. Now John starts off, he speaks about the last hour. Uh, you may have, have also heard of a, a similar phrase of, of the last days, talking about the last hour or the last days, it's something that comes through in New Testament writings. And what that is, it's, it's a period of time or, or the age between Pentecost, so when Jesus has returned to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has has come and filled the church and empowered them to go and make the gospel known. It's a period of time between that and Christ's return. 
Okay, so we're talking about the last days or the last hour. So Jesus has returned, he's equipped the church, and actually we've got this period of time now before Jesus returns for his church. So that's what John's writing about when he talks about this is the last hour. It's a time for the gospel, it's a time for the good news of Jesus to be made known. And we'll see that as he's writing, he's like, look, we've got to be confident in who we are in Christ because this is a message that the world needs to hear. It's a message that needs to be shared. And actually, if we're talking about the last hour, doesn't that sound kind of urgent to you? So actually, there's an urgency. The gospel needs to be made known. People need to know this truth. People need to understand it. So it's a time of great expectation. It's a time of great anticipation of Jesus' return. But there's also a a warning that comes, that John brings. Okay, so he says, actually, it's in these last days that the Antichrist is coming. So many antichrists have come. Okay? So it's a time of expectation and anticipation, but that we also need to be aware as well. Now, the word antichrist, um, maybe it's something that we're not particularly comfortable talking about. I think it's commonly misunderstood. Uh, I think it's been, definitely would have been taken by film and literature and art and presented in many different forms and in many different ways. And it's not always helpful. Uh, because actually it can, it can confuse things and muddle things. So what we need to do really is to, to start by understanding what John is talking about. When he's talking about Antichrist, actually for us to get a good understanding of what he means. Because we don't want to go into this kind of bringing in misconceptions and confusions into this. Now, the, in, in English, the word anti, so the prefix anti means opposed to. Okay, so, we could, so Antichrist could be opposed to Christ, if we were to break it down that way. In the Greek, the prefix anti also means instead of. Okay, it's quite important that we understand this. So instead of, so instead of Christ. And this is what John is saying. He's saying, look, actually there are these false versions of Christ that are being presented. There are many different, many differing versions of Christ that are on offer. And that's what was happening at the time that John was writing. There were all of these, there were these people that were coming with these different uh, kind of this um, a different version of Christ that they were offering to people. Different from the one that John and the apostles had presented when they were uh, seeing the church established and growing. So there's a difference coming in here. Actually, there was this, these false teachers and these false prophets coming in that were actually teaching of, of, of a different Christ to the one that had been preached before by John and the apostles. Jesus said this was going to happen. Matthew 24, 24, he says that false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. He's saying that these, these things, these people, these teachings are going, to be coming, are going to be coming through. And then later in this letter, we'll come to it in a few weeks' time, in chapter 4, 4 verse 3, John actually speaks of the spirit of the Antichrist. He's talking about how we need to be able to discern between spirits, whether it's of God or whether it's from somewhere else. And he speaks about the spirit of the Antichrist. So the, the New Testament, it does suggest that there's going to be one particular individual that will wreak more havoc, but, sorry, will wreak more havoc than others. But actually its emphasis is more on this idea of the spirit of the Antichrist that's at work everywhere. Does that make sense? So there's this sense of actually the spirit of, of opposition to Christ, of presenting something instead of Christ. John Piper says this, he says that the essence of the Antichrist spirit is to deny that Jesus was the Christ, 
or to, or to deny that Christ was fully incarnate in Jesus. So when we say about incarnate, it's in the flesh. So God made flesh, it's denying that Jesus was actually the Christ. The spirit of Antichrist does whatever it can to diminish Christ and substitute other views or persons for the incarnate Son of God. So it's quite a lot to take in, but it's actually saying it, 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 it's, uh, it's a spirit that, that will kind of diminish Christ or put other things or other people in the place where Jesus should be. This is a serious thing that John is addressing here, which is why he needs to call the church uh, and, and kind of warn the church and draw their attention to this. You see, what John is writing against, he's writing against people and teaching that were making claims in opposition to Christ. You know, they might have been claiming, now God is going to be acting in this way. God is going to be acting in this way. God's going to be moving through this person. Or they might have been saying, look, there's someone new. Give it all up. What you know about Jesus, give all of that up and follow us instead. That's what was going on at the time that John was writing. So that's the warning. Look, guys, you need to be aware that this is going on. That there are people that are preaching a gospel where they're taking Jesus out of it. Where they're presenting something other than Jesus being the way to the Father. There's people that are teaching something other than the fact that Jesus actually is the Son of God. So he brings this warning, but along with it, do you remember I was saying, he then brings assurance and comfort in. But if you were to just be presented with that as a warning, you might feel quite vulnerable in that situation. Maybe even a bit fearful. How are we going to cope with this? What's the church meant to do in the face of it? But John brings this assurance in. He says, you're not lacking. You're not lacking. Um, it help if I didn't jump from. Oh no, I haven't jumped before. I jumped a page of notes. I'm alright. Sorry, I do need to go back a touch. So this is the warning that comes. He tells it as it is, and he doesn't shy away. It's something that seriously needs addressing. But with warning comes assurance. In verse 20, he says this. So he's just warned about the, the, the Antichrist. But he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. That's where the assurance comes in. But you've been anointed by the Holy One. You've got all knowledge. You've got the Holy Spirit in you, and because the Holy Spirit is in you, that means that actual change of heart and actual change of character has happened in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that has done that in you and continues to do that in you. John 16, uh, verse 13 to 15, Jesus is talking about the Spirit who he was going to send. And he says that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what Jesus was saying, that the Holy Spirit will come and do. Do you notice what he says about the Spirit? He says, he's the Spirit of truth. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And, he's, and, and as John is saying, look, you've got the, the Spirit is in you. You've got the anointing of the Spirit within you. He, he's saying he's holding it up against what is false. He's saying, look, you've got the Spirit in you and the Spirit leads you into all truth. Well, we've got all this falsehood and all these lies coming in. It's the Spirit who leads you in truth. 
And he's the one who brings recognition that Jesus truly is the Son of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus said that. He, takes, he, he reveals Jesus to us. He takes what is from him and he makes it known to us. He glorifies Jesus by making these things known. You see, God's Spirit... Sorry, the Antichrist would look to lead us away from the Son of God, but God's Spirit always leads us to the Son of God. This is why John holds up this truth as a contrast to these false teachers, to these false prophets. That's where the assurance comes. You've got the Spirit in you. He will give you all knowledge because he's the one that leads you to the truth. He's the one that points you to Jesus. And John continues his assurance and his comfort. He's saying, it's not that you're lacking in knowing truth. He's saying, I'm not writing to you because I need to, make, I need to write to you the truth because you don't know it. He's not saying that there's something that I need to add to you that you're lacking. Actually, instead of that, it's a recognition of what they already have. He says, it's not that you don't know the truth. You do know the truth. And it's the Spirit who's revealed that to you. They know the truth of who Jesus is. And again, he holds it in contrast to the Antichrist. This is no matter of a difference of opinion. He's not talking about grey areas here. John is strong and clear and he speaks about what is true and he speaks about what is a lie. There's no kind of, well maybe these things can coexist together and we can kind of, they might blur together a little bit. He's like, no actually, he's making this stark distinction, isn't he? Between what is the truth and what is a lie. And in doing so, he's making this point. And perhaps this might be the most important point I'm going to make today, is that everything depends on what a person believes about Jesus Christ. Everything depends on what a person believes about Jesus Christ. There are many religions, many worldviews, many traditions, many belief systems, but it all comes down to Jesus. Throughout history, continuing today, there's maybe even this view or this narrative that, that might claim, there'll be some that, that claim they're the exclusive way to God, but others that would say, actually, there's, there's many ways to God. As long as someone finds their way there, it doesn't matter how you get there. This is something I've definitely heard, and maybe it's something that you've heard. People say, look, there can't just be one way. Maybe there's lots of ways in which people can get to God. Jesus could be a way to God, but just one of many, one of many different possibilities. And even this week on Twitter, there's been a seminary, uh, in, I think they're from the States, and they've been tweeting some, some of their, their theology. And actually, some of it seems like even there, they're veering away to this idea that there, you don't have to come through Jesus to get to the Father. There are other ways that you can go. It's a frightening thing, but it's very easy for it to creep in. And then John, I don't know if you've noticed this, there's kind of three times in quick succession that he talks about the Father and the Son, but when he speaks about the Father and the Son, they're always together. Did you notice that? He talks about the Father and the Son together. And what he's doing is he's stressing the truth that to deny Jesus means you deny the Father also. I don't mean this to sound flippant, but they're kind of like, they come together. Not like a, sort of like a, they're, they're a package deal. You, you have one and you have the other. You can't have one without the other. See, where this false teaching is coming in, that's saying actually you can have God, the Father, without having Jesus, the Son. 
John says, that's a, he calls it a, a lie. It's just a lie. It's just not true. And he goes on to say, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That's the truth. If you have Jesus, if you have the Son, then you have the Father too. Don't try to separate them and claim that you can have one without the other. That is not the message that the, that the apostles were preaching from the beginning. John 14, 6. Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made that claim about himself. He is the only way to come to the Father. You have to have the Son to have the Father. John 3, 16, 17. I read this a couple of weeks ago, but it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You've got father and son together. You can't separate them. Jesus came in order that we would be saved and reconciled to the father. It was the love of the father that that inspired that and drove it. But you can't have one without the other. But the Antichrist, this spirit of Antichrist that John's talking about, he says that Antichrist denies Jesus and in doing so denies the Father also. Because it's Jesus, the Son, who reveals the Father to us. And it's only Jesus who can represent and reconcile us to the Father. We looked at that in week one. As John was bringing that assurance, he was talking about Jesus um, being the, being the one who represents us on, to, to the Father and who reconciles us to the Father. John's coming back and he's, saying, he's pretty much saying the same thing over and over again. And he's building upon layer and layer of, of his teachings. And look, I'm going to keep stressing this point to you. I'm going to keep coming back to you. This is where your assurance lies. Because it's only Jesus who can represent us and reconcile us back to the Father. See, when you take Jesus out of the picture... Or if you reduce him to less than he truly is. What do you have? I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to leave that there. There's something for us to think about. If you take Jesus out of the picture. Or reduce him to less than he truly is. What do you actually have left? See what we believe matters. John is saying in this moment. He's saying look be aware. But don't be afraid. He's talking about lies and he's talking about truth, but he's saying to the church, he's saying, look, you're on the side of truth. Be confident, be assured, you're on the side of truth. That's the place where you want to be. There's a guy named David Jackman. Whenever I read his name, I keep wanting to call him Hugh Jackman and it's confusing me. But no, David Jackman, he's written a commentary uh, on on the letter of 1 John and he says that we need to be realistic about our our enemy, but we need to be confident in our saviour. I think that's wonderful. That's what John's doing, bringing this warning and assurance. We need to be realistic of our enemy, but we need to be confident in our saviour. So how do we hold on to and live out the truth? Or how do we stay on course? And John says this. We hold on to and live out the truth by having the word and the spirit abide in us. They're the two things that that he says. He says, by having the word and the spirit abide in us he uses the word abide 
five times in very quick succession. So he's obviously trying to get something across. Uh, it's not just a coincidence that he might have used it once or twice. He's using it five times in about four verses, saying about the word abiding in us. He's talking about the spirit abiding in us in order that we would abide in the Father and the Son. And now this word abide, it means to remain. Or one, in one commentary, put it, I think, really helpfully, uh, it said that the word abide means to take up permanent address. Isn't that great? To take up permanent address. And he's saying, look, you need to have the word and the spirit take up permanent address in you. Doesn't that sound so contrary to the false teaching that's coming in? That seems to kind of just ebb and flow with the latest new idea and the, and the new theory. And people might drift off to, to that. But he's saying, no, you need the word and the spirit to take up permanent residence, permanent address within you. And so he speaks about the word. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide, or remain, or take up permanent address in you. And when he's talking about what you've heard from the beginning, he's talking about what they've received from the apostles. What was it that the apostles had taught them? What was it that they'd preached to them? What was it that had, um, that what, what was it about the, the truth of the gospel? What it was that they heard that moved them to put their faith and their trust in Jesus in the first place? He's saying, go back to that. Stay there with what it was that got you to put your faith and trust in Jesus in the first place. Let that, let that word that was from the beginning, let that remain in you. Don't move away from it. Because when you think about what the false teachers and, and prophets were offering, there, there was that call of, look, leave what you've heard before, leave what you think you know, come and follow us, we know something new. We know something better. We've had something revealed to us that you need to know about. And it just seems a sense of you know, kind of flitting and moving to the next thing, the next idea. But no, don't do that. Don't set off in pursuit of something new. Because if this truth remains in you, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. It is that important. Don't move on from that which you heard in the beginning. And then John says, this is the promise of eternal life. It, um, really, it's about personal relationship with God, having been united through Christ now and forever. It's what eternal life is. It's about knowing God and knowing Jesus, whom he sent. My, um, my Twitter feed, I don't know if other people's social media feeds have been like this, but it seems... Like over the last few days, mine have been full of adverts for the latest phones that are coming out. I've not even been looking for a new phone, but still I've just got all these adverts coming out. This is the new phone you can have, and the latest thing that you can have here and here and here. And, and it, it kind of feeds on, on something that I think is, is kind of natural to us or inbuilt in us, that we're drawn to what's new. We're drawn to what's the next thing that's coming on. And, and they feed off of that, don't they, with... with things they're feeding off of that sense of we need to know what's the next thing that's coming through we need that but don't be drawn to something um just because it, it, it's new or because it's a novelty jackman who i just mentioned a little earlier he says this i think it's really important for us i found it challenging when i read it so i thought i'd let you be challenged as well he said it is not so much that we need to be learning new truth Novelty in itself can be a great snare. Rather, we need to be learning more deeply and practicing more fully the great truths we've been aware of from the start of our Christian experience. So from, from the beginning. 
Many of us modern Christians spend comparatively little time allowing the majestic truths of our faith to settle deeply into our consciousness. We spend a lot of time speaking about our experience of living the Christian life, but not so much dwelling on the character of God or the person of, God, of Christ, his atoning death, his resurrection life, the person and the activity of the Holy Spirit, and then our universal, uh, and then, uh, sorry, and then our universal human sinfulness, the grace of God in salvation, the process of becoming more like Jesus and the hope of glory. These truths exist as living realities independent of us, but they need to be permanently living in our minds and our wills. Basically, we need to keep coming back to that which we heard in the beginning. We can't just live off of the experience of the Christian life. We need to keep going back to the Word and to saturate ourselves with that. Remain in the truth of what you heard from the beginning. And then John continues. He says, I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you. I need to tell you about this. I need to warn you. But he's saying, look, there are these people on the outside. Okay, these people on the outside who are trying to deceive you. He says, but the anointing, the Holy Spirit you have received has taken up permanent address in you. This is something on the inside. Can you see? The, the, the kind of the countermeasure, or really the place that we go to, that what God has given us, the gift that God has given us, is that when things from the outside come in to try and steer us away from the truth, God's put something inside of us. The Holy Spirit, he's taken up residence in us. He's the one to counteract the things that come at us from outside. He lives within us. Now, the false teachers were coming offering what could be called secret knowledge. You know, God has revealed something to us that's not for everyone to know. It's just for the select few. You can be one of these people that can achieve or, or can know about this secret knowledge that God is revealing. It sounds appealing. You can see why people might go for it, but there's something that God's revealed that you can know too. Come and be a part of this. It does sound appealing. You know, I can be in this group. I can know something that other people don't know. I can reach a closeness to God that people haven't experienced up until this point. But those who are full of the Spirit, they don't need any secret knowledge. Because there is no additional secret knowledge. And actually, the Spirit within us, He speaks truth to us and He gives us everything that we need to know. Now, when John, he says, uh, um, let me make sure I get this right. He says, uh, you have no need that anyone should teach you. We have to be careful that we don't swing so far that we think, okay, so we don't need biblical teaching and that kind of stuff. Actually, if you look through the letter that John's writing, he's, he's teaching them as he goes. So he's not saying that you don't need people to instruct you and you don't need, you don't need that biblical teaching. But he's saying, actually, what you don't need are these false teachers and prophets who claim to add new information about Christ beyond what is true and beyond what has already been revealed. And it's the Holy Spirit who continues to apply God's truth in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who, who, who um, he's the one who, who brings us to life in Christ. He's the one who brings that regeneration. When we talk about being born again, it's a work of the Spirit within us. That moment, that initial moment where we're born again and into relationship with God. But he's the one who continues day by day 
as we're walking with God. He's the one who continues to apply God's truth in our lives. It's not just a one-off thing. It's uh, actually he abides in you and he continues to apply God's truth in our lives. So this is what John is saying. Be warned. But be assured. And the assurance that John brings that we've just looked at looks like this. Be assured because the spirit of truth lives in you. He says, be assured because those who confess the Son have the Father also. That is the truth. He says, be assured because as the Word and Spirit abide in you, you too will will abide or remain in the Father and in the Son. So church, let's be realistic about our enemies, but let's be confident in our Saviour. We don't need to be afraid. This is not a warning that we should go out from this place and be fearful. And actually we will come up against teaching like John was, was writing into. There will be things that will come against the church. There will be things that might, new ideas and new teachings and new theologies that might challenge and, and seek to kind of cut into what we believe. But don't be afraid of that. The Holy Spirit, he lives in us. He's taken up residence in us. We have the words. Keep going back to the word. What was it that got you to that place where you knew you had to give yourself to Jesus? Keep going back there. Keep going back to him. And as, you, as, you allow the word and the, as we allow the word and spirit to abide in us, so too will we continue to abide in him. I hope, as I've gone through this, I've felt comforted and just really reinforced. And I hope through what I've shared today, actually you feel assured as well. I hope it brings assurance to you. Shall we pray?